Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly. Here's what's going on at The Ringer for the rest of the week. We're covering award season nominations, TV superlatives for the year, and the best memes of 2018. You can check those out on TheRinger.com. And check out The Ringer's Instagram, where every Friday, the staff provides their weekend recommendations. And every Saturday, our very own Kate Hallowell takes over with her new show, Tea Time, where she offers up her thoughts on the latest celebrity gossip. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, at Ringer. Villains. Each episode, I'll be joined by two guests to take a look at a different type of villain. We've done a gangster movie villain, a high school movie villain, a karate movie villain. Today, we're doing revenge thriller villain. Frankly, one of the four best villains of the past decade. Today, we're doing... I am so much happier now that I'm dead. Technically missing. Soon to be presumed dead. Gone. And my lazy, lying, cheating, oblivious husband will go to prison for my murder. Nick Dunn took my pride and my dignity and my hope and my money. He took and took from me until I no longer existed. That's murder. Let the punishment fit the crime. The amazing Amy Dunn. That's Mallory Rubin. That's Jason Concepcion. Hello. Hello. Two people who have never corrected me whenever I've mispronounced quinoa. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do the plot of the movie first. I'm going to run sure. through it. And because of the nature that Gone Girl is filmed, there are two ways to describe the plot. We could do the easy way, and then we could do the a difficult way, which is a little more robust. The easy way is just to say Gone Girl is about a woman who discovers her husband is cheating on her, so she decides to frame him for her murder. Mm-hmm. The difficult way, which is a little longer, Gone Girl centers around Amy and Nick Dunn, a couple we see fall in love and be very charming together in New York. After a string of bad things happen, Nick gets let go from his job. Amy gets let go from her job. Amy's parents end up borrowing nearly all of her million-dollar trust fund to pay off debts. Nick's mother gets diagnosed with cancer and then passes away. Nick and Amy end up living in Missouri, where Nick is from. And their marriage deteriorates, and Nick, now a writing teacher, begins having an affair with one of his former students. And Amy, who's already having a tough go of it because she didn't want to be in Missouri and she didn't want to be a housewife and she didn't want to be married to flyover Nick. She wanted to be married to big city Nick. Mm-hmm. One night she discovers he's cheating on her. And when that happens, she decides, you know what, fuck it. I'm burning it all to the ground. She puts into place a very elaborate plan to frame Nick for her murder. After that, she disappears into the wind and just sort of watches everything play out via the internet news and TV clips. While she's hiding, she ends up getting robbed which forces her into the hands of Desi Collins, a rich and very creepy ex-boyfriend. And yes, and this, this is where the story really, more specifically, this is where they take Amy and turn her into an all-time great villain. But one night, Amy is watching Nick give a TV interview. And when he's doing the TV interview, he does it again as Big City Nick. He's confident and charming and dashing. And when she sees that, she decides, you know what, I'm going to go back to him. So she has to stage a new crime setting up Desi this time. While having sex with Desi, she slits his throat with a box cutter, then makes it look like he kidnapped her and (laughs) raped her. Yeah, Yeah. it was a hard go for poor Desi. Then she shows up back at her house, and she's a wreck, and she's covered in blood. And Nick knows that she's lying, but she forces him into playing. Just, you you know, you got to play along with this because she tells him, if you try to leave me now, your whole life is going to be ruined. They're going to kill you out there. He decides, all right, I'll stick around for a little while. And then he plots on making a public announcement that he's divorcing her seven weeks later. And right before he goes to do that, Amy tells him that she's pregnant with his child. Nick mm-hmm. had been wanting a kid. They, mm-hmm. they talk about this earlier. And uh, he didn't have sex with her. But what she did is she went and got a semen sample from the fertility clinic that he had gone to when they wanted to have kids. And she got pregnant off of that. And so that's how the movie ends with Nick just completely defanged and at the mercy of Amy, who is now the mother of his child. Did we miss anything? Mostly my assessment of that rundown is that you're very sympathetic to Amy and that you're Team Amy. I am very That was team a very pro Amy rundown and a very anti Nick rundown. Yeah. Don't cheat. That's that's that seems like not that hard of a thing to do is to not <laughs> to not cheat. Uh, let's do four interesting things. Sure. I'm gonna throw four interesting things at you from the movie. Okay. And we'll go from there. Interesting thing number one. 
when Nick walks into the bar, this is in the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Him and his sister own a bar. It's mm-hmm. called The Bar. Yeah. Nick is very creative. Very meta. As, right? as is like noted it, yeah. within the movie. <laughs> when Nick walks into the bar, he says to his sister that he got her a present. His twin sister, Margot, mm-hmm. he calls her Go, which is kind of charming. He says, I got you a present. And then he hands her a board game. Do you know what board game he hands her? I f- no, I forget. You know? Mastermind. Mastermind. I used to play that oh, all the time when I was a kid. Really? I fucking never crush everyone in my I family. Could, I can Mastermind, believe that. Yeah. Mastermind came out in the <laughs> 70s. It's a two-player game where one person creates this elaborate code and the other person has to figure it out or he or she loses. Right. That's oh, wow. Mastermind. It is specifically about entrapment, smarts, and... The dance of strategy. That's exactly what it yeah. is. Wow. It's like hinting at the movie that's going to come. All right. We dig a little bit deeper. When Margot goes to put the game away, she sets it on the shelf with other board games. Mm-hmm. Three of the other games that are prominently displayed. One's called Let's Make a Deal. Mm-hmm. One's called Emergency. And one is a Ouija board. And it wow. goes in that order, too. So if you're looking at it, the deal that they make, that, that him and Amy make in the beginning is we're going to be better people or at least different people. The emergency would be their relationship mm. falling apart. And then the Ouija board is when she starts leaving the clues and right. everything after yeah. she's gone. He's sort of talking to her. She's talking to him from the death, which I thought was clever. But I no didn't... actual game of clue? But no game of clue. Maybe that, that was, was too on the nose. That was <laughs> too much. Too much. Because I didn't catch it the first time. But the second time when I'm watching it, I'm looking at all of the little other things. And I'm like, wait a second. I love Interesting that. thing. Number three, after Amy disappears, her parents put up, they've got billboards. They've got posters uh, on the billboard and on the poster. There's the website, findamazingamy.com. That's a real website. You can go to it. It works. She even has a Pinterest account, which is really creepy to peruse through. There's also a phone number on the billboard, 1-855-4-AMY-TIPS. And you can call it. I called it. What happens? It's a clip of Amy Dunn doing the voiceovers from the movie. That's amazing. That's What's on her Pinterest? Like homemade syringes and IVs? <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. It looks at first glance like a normal Pinterest, and then you start to go through it, and it's like places to escape to, like all, like a bunch of little homemade type things. It's really, really well done. Interesting thing number four. This will be the last one. Remember the TV interviewer that Nick talks to when he's trying to clear his name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's played by Cella Ward. And that's interesting because Gone Girl is probably the second most famous movie to feature a man in it who everyone thinks killed his wife and didn't. Uh, the first most famous one. The Fugitive. Is The Fugitive. With the love of my life, Harrison you Ford. You find that man! <laughs> that's, that's the movie right there. Sailor Ward is in that as well. Yes. She plays the murdered wife that's in right. that movie. That's right. So you have the innocent husband of the new version of the movie talking to the old murdered wife, the real murdered wife, and the original version. I love it. Yeah, It's a lot. Harrison Ford is so handsome. When can we do a podcast about how handsome Harrison Ford we're, is? We're going to do that one next, right after, <laughs> right after this one. So let's go through the questions. We're going to go yes. through the questions. All right. Okay. The first one is always the most straightforward one that I ask everybody when you're sitting in those chairs. It's very simple and direct. Why? Why is Amy Dunn so scary? Let's go to you first, Mallory. I think Amy Dunn is so bone deep, soul deep, unsettling and terrifying because she's so recognizable. It's just a person in your life. Like if you're watching a horror movie like The Descent or Child's Play, which mm-hmm. I cite specifically Great as movies. movies that people in my life tortured me by making me watch and okay. I can't handle those kinds of movies and I've been deeply unhinged ever since, as you guys know. At the end of the day, if you're a more rational, balanced person than I am, you can say, well, the doll is probably not going to come to life and kill me. The creatures (laughs) in the cave are probably not going to rip my throat out if I don't run fast enough. But the hot chick Mm -hmm. who I met at the party might slit my throat while we're fucking. It's not totally off the table. Depends how good the beer was, I guess. (laughs) She's just so smart and calculating. But more than that, she really understands Nick in a fundamental way. She has his number all the way through. She knows what he's going to do. She knows why he does stuff. When he's in a mood, she knows why. She knows how to move him around in Mm -hmm. the way that she needs just by doing shit. That taps in. So it's both sides of that. And that taps into, I think, a very fundamental human fear that we all carry on some level. On the one hand, what happens when we let somebody else really know who we are? How can they then use that against us? And then the other side of that, 
can you ever really know another person? And yeah. that is what is most terrifying. Because he about did it not to me. see this coming. This no. is his wife. And obviously they had fallen out of love with each other, but there's a pretty wide chasm between like the fire and the passion are gone, mm-hmm. and this person might fake her own murder and frame me for it. It's like the dark side of empathy. You know, we think of empathy, of understanding another person, of feeling their emotions, of understanding where they're coming from and as being like a really great thing. She takes that and weaponizes it and mm-hmm. uses her empathy for Nick, her deep understanding of his psyche and his personality and just like moves him around like a puppet in a way that is really like almost it would be paranoid to believe that someone was doing this and here in the story is a person who is doing mm-hmm. this. And then literally handing him puppets. Yes. <laughs> Punch and Judy <laughs> dolls. I think if we peel back a little bit, I remember reading this interview with Michael Madsen, who's played a bunch of great bad guys. He was yeah. in Kill Bill and Reservoir Dogs and that old ESPN show about card players. Yeah. He did, like that's what he does. And they were asking him about playing the bad guy. And he was explaining, like, a very effective way to do it is you want for the person who's doing the evil things to to not see themselves as evil. They're just doing the things that need to be oh, done. Oh, of course. Right. The villain right. always has to believe that they are, are the, the victim. Are yeah. the good and that's exactly yeah, right. what she's doing here. But, like, reveling in the idea that she's also smarter than just the victim and, like, yeah. really sticking them needles in there. Do you remember the first time you watched this movie or the first time you saw Amy? Did you read the book ahead of time? I, yeah, I had read you, the book read before the, book. the movie. Did you read the book, Jason? I did not read the book. I didn't, I didn't yeah. either. What's the, Great book. Can't recommend it highly enough. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's great. What's the, how do they set up the twist like they do in the movie? In the movie, like the first half of the movie is a right, Ben Affleck think, movie. Yeah. Right. And then they flip everything it's, upside down. So, candidly, my memory of the book is foggy because my brain is just disintegrating as I age and Mm -hmm. I can't remember anything anymore. But (laughs) I do recall that the movie and the book are actually quite similar structurally and that the differences between the mediums are more in specific executions of specific plot points. Right. Certain things about how she kills Desi, for example, Mm. Um, what she's uh, keeping in the freezer, uh, vomit containing antifreeze to show that Nick poisoned her. Those are the differences, little changes like that. And that structurally, in terms of the framework of the story, it's very similar. And part of that is because Gillian Flynn, the author of the novel, wrote the screenplay for the movie. Mm -hmm. So both executions of the story are in her hands, which I think, you know, by its very definition, leads to a lot of continuity in terms of like tone and approach. Right. Jason, what? When did you watch this? Did you see it in the theater? I saw it in the theater. Okay, yeah. yeah. Tell, tell me what's going on in your head when well, when the big I've, twist happens. I think I kind of knew. You knew. Uh, I kind of knew what the. I knew that she was from the first act of the movie, or from the way the film had been marketed. From the way the film had been marketed, okay, a little bit, and you know, like the the book had a lot of buzz around it. Well, in the trailer, she's not alive in the trailer. They don't hint the at it at all. So I suspected that it was something like this. More than anything, more than the reveal, I was kind of struck at the the really trenchant observation of relationship politics mm-hmm. and the way people kind of front as they're becoming intimate with another person in order to continue to impress that person. Mm-hmm. And then just the idea, I was, I, was, I was struck by that observation because there is that point in a relationship where you're like, okay, you've been going with this person for a while, at what point do you reveal that you're not actually that cool? And at what point do you just be the person that you are? And like that little monologue, I was really struck by. This is one of like six movies where I can remember exactly where I was and what I was doing oh, shit. when, the, when yeah. the big hammer dropped. My wife and I are watching this movie. Our kids are asleep. We're watching like, like a downloaded pirated version of it <laughs> that somebody filmed with a camcorder. It's plugged so into my That's computer. the way you want to watch a Fincher film. That's how we're, that's how yes. we're watching it, right? I didn't know anything about Gone Girl. I didn't know anything about any of its parts. It was just like, oh, let's watch. Here's a movie. Let's watch it. We haven't seen this one yet. It was like on our list. And so we're sitting there. We're eating crawfish mm. from Delicious. this place called L.A. Crawfish, I love crawfish in Houston. And we're just having ourselves a little date night uh, during the week. And we're watching and it's going along. And you're like, he definitely killed this. He definitely killed it, didn't he? I think Laramie already knew what was going on. And so she's watching me. I'm watching this. And I, oh, he did it. Oh, see, the, the joke he makes about it. Not a joke, but when he's like, this is identity theft. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so that's so fake. 
he killed this woman for sure. And then it it switches and she says the line like, I'm so much happier now that I'm dead. And then they open it up and it's this bright shot of her, yeah. as Jason mm-hmm. mentioned, in the car driving and she's explaining all of the pieces and I'm just there holding like the the husk of a, of a crawfish <laughs> in my hand watching. I can't do anything but, but watch as she's explaining this. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. And it was more than just the twist that got me. I felt personally betrayed <laughs> in the mo- in the movie mm-hmm. because she's telling you all of these stories. Yeah, the part when she when she finally gets to when he grabs her and throws her right. into the stairs, I was right. like, yeah, that no, really oh sets my, it like, up. He's the that villain. really sets yeah. it up. I was I was all the way in. I was believing everything that she was telling me, and then we find out that this is all a lie. The beginning parts are true when when they're falling in love and like the sweet stuff, and then she fabricates everything else. And I felt. Like that guy, I can only imagine how he felt mm-hmm. in that situation. But I was really like, "She's fucking crazy," <laughs> is what I felt like. I didn't know. I didn't know any other way to say it. One of the one of the biggest clues in the movie is actually just the opening moment where Nick's hand is on her head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I think of my wife, I always think of her head. I picture cracking her lovely skull, unspooling her brains, trying to get answers. The primal questions of any marriage. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? What have we done to each other? So you go from thinking it's very violent imagery to thinking, oh, you just want to know your partner better, and then you right. don't really know how to reconcile those differences. <laughs> and that line, what have we done to each other? Right. Primes you, I think, initially for not only the possibility, but the promise that not all is what it seems. Let's do the yeah. categories. Yeah. First category. This one's called worst behavior. Oh, a lot of choices. A lot of choices. <laughs> I have seven. If you want to throw one in there. Okay. These are all two. for Amy? These, or these are, are for any character. These are for Amy. We're trying okay. to figure out what's the most villainous thing that Amy does in Gone Girl. Okay. Wow. I'm going to throw them out there. Number one, when she spits in the girl's Mountain Dew. Mm. I felt bad for her. Only a little bit, though. We're talking about when they get, when mm-hmm. she's on the run. She yeah. makes friends with the other person mm-hmm. living in the housing next to her. They're watching TV. She goes to the bathroom. She goes to the bathroom with the door open. So I've already, I'm like, I'm not this, I don't want to be friends <laughs> with this person. Uh, but that's one of them. That was like not okay. a. We don't. You didn't need to do yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you didn't need to do that. Option number two, when she fakes her pregnancy mm-hmm. as part uh-huh. of the the murder framing. This to me is the one that really shows how meticulous she is in planning this mm-hmm. out. And number one, not just I'm going to put these pieces in place to make it so that my husband goes to prison and gets executed in prison. Mm-hmm. That's not enough for me. <laughs> I need for that's everybody to hate him. Option number three. When she frames Nick for murder, I mean, that's the biggest one in the thing. It's pretty bad. That's a pretty bad one. But is it worse than option number four? When she slits Desi's throat and then frames him for kidnapping her and raping her. This is one that I didn't see coming at all. Even after the twist came. I mean, yeah, that's like an escalation. (laughs) Right. And the scene right before then, when she uses, when she shoves the bottle up herself Mm -hmm. to like get the wounds, I didn't know what she was doing. I'm like, what is going on? I have no idea at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm just floating in outer space. Like Sandra Bullock and Gravity with nothing to yeah. hold on to. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm at her mercy at this point. I didn't get that one at all. And then that, that scene happens. Right. And everything falls out of me. Number six. Much like Desi. Much like Desi. <laughs> Very tough. Yes. Very tough for Desi. When she changes her mind about framing Nick for murder and decides she's gonna go back home. That's a tricky one for me. I don't know if this one is an example of her being evil, or is this an example of her being completely just oblivious to the chaos she's causing? Or is this an example of her being, you know what, I'm smart enough to get, I'm going to walk through this minefield and, and I'm going to get out okay. That's tricky for me. And then the last one, this one hurt my feelings, I think, more than anything else. <laughs> but it's when she describes Noelle, her friend, that she makes yeah, friends with. Yeah, the idiot. As a pregnant idiot. <laughs> that was very tough. That's like, she's just trying to be a friend. What's going on here? You need to package yourself so that people will truly mourn your loss. And America loves pregnant women. As if it's so hard to spread your legs. You know what's hard? Faking a pregnancy. First, drain your toilet. Invite pregnant idiot into your home 
and plier with lemonade. Steal pregnant idiot's urine. Voila. Which of these okay. is the most villainous? We'll go Jason first. You know, these are all very, very bad. <laughs> but I'm going to go with uh, Desi primarily, but certainly not only because of the loss of human life and the very intimate murder via slitting his throat with a box cutter in grisly fashion, his, his life's blood spilling out onto her. That was gruesome and grisly. And also, like, you mentioned, like, the unreliable narrator structure and not really knowing if what Amy was telling you was the truth. I just thought of something. Can I throw it? I'm going to throw yeah. a timeout in here before we go. I'm going to okay. add another one in okay. there. Separate of when she fakes a pregnancy. When she gets pregnant for real. That's my pick. Is that what you were going to? Yeah. Okay. I saw it in your face. <laughs> I saw it in your face. <laughs> Mallory, talk to me about why this one is so yeah. bad. So I should say my my runner-up is... Jason's pick, the 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 Desi uh, murder and the entire Desi plot. I, I think everything that she does with framing Nick and faking the murder, down to the specific details, like putting the fake the fake purchases in the woodshed, the mm-hmm. level of attention to detail there is just beyond the pale. But forcing Nick to continue to share a life with her by taking the sperm sample that he gave because he wanted to have a child and she did not. And then using that against his will and against his knowledge to entrap him, not only to be a loyal person who does not attempt to out her and arrest, have her arrested, but to actually continue to share a life with her, to be there with her for another 18 years until their child is in college is a level of psychosis that I don't think we often see in stories. And it is actually interesting to read actual medical professionals talk about the movie and the book and the character portrayal. What she does at the end actually makes you question where she stands. Not just where Nick stands, but what does she actually want? Mm. Does she just not want him to rat her out? Or does she actually love him again? Right. You sort of don't know. I wondered the same exact thing when I'm... Watch it the second time, third time, fourth time. And I kept going back to the scene where she's watching Nick on the TV. Mm-hmm. She's just all the way plugged in. She's e- eating mm-hmm. whatever it is she's eating. And he he's very clearly playing to her. He knows she's going to be watching right. the the interview. Wearing mm-hmm. her tie, wearing her watch, right. doing he's, the chin tap. He's doing all this stuff. And he makes a comment where he says, I've taken myself to the woodshed mm-hmm. and uh, like to let you know I found the stuff. Right. I know exactly what's going on. I can on. keep up after right. all. Amy, I love you. You're the best person I've ever known. And I've taken myself to the woodshed for the way that I've treated you. And if you come back, I promise I will spend every day making an update. I will be the man that I promised you I would be. And when he right. says that, you see her just like, Everything about her changes. And I think right there is when it's supposed to be going, okay, you know what? I want to, I want that. Right. But what does she want about that? Right. That's the terrifying thing to consider. She doesn't actually love him. No. Or think he loves her or care about that at all. No. It's that she finally feels like she has crafted the clay, molded the clay exactly as she had spent the last decade trying to do and that he is willingly pliable. I'm going to go with Mallory on this one. I got to vote having the baby. That's tough. Next category. This one's called Maybe She Had a Point. Is there... <laughs> is, I don't want to say she had a point, but mm-hmm. that's just the title of the category. Is there an argument you can make that justifies any of Amy's actions in the movie? I have a few arguments I'm prepared to make on yeah. behalf of women everywhere, but I'll sure. let the gentleman no, no, go, go no, first. Please okay. go first. Please go first. couple things. One, One, you said this earlier. Yes. He cheated. He did cheat. He's he a cheat. fucking... Cheater. He's a cheater. And he deserves misery and to suffer deeply. I agree. For what he's done. I agree. Also, a subset of the cheating, the sugar kiss and the snow kiss mm-hmm. with the lip wipe. I don't like a the violation a of a sacred moment in their lives. I went to the ball where he works to surprise him. And out he comes with this girl who had no business being in a ball. 
On the very first night that we met, we walked by a bakery that was having their sugar delivered. And it was in the air everywhere, a sugar storm. And before he kissed me, he leaned in and did this. And guess what? What? He did the exact same thing with her. That is the most disgusting thing I ever heard. Thank you. It's not just that she caught him having an affair. And it's not just that she caught him having an affair with a young, beautiful woman right. who, of He's course, is going to threaten, the, <laughs> threaten her confidence and the nature of her identity and her sense of self. Oh, right. Like the hot young thing, right? He replicated a specific yeah. moment, the specific moment from which their love story flowered. That's like a real violation of something sacred. Okay. And then finally, the nature of control and control over your own life, agency in your own life. One of the things that makes her a sympathetic character is the whole Amazing Amy plotline, the nature of her upbringing, the way that her parents co-opted and commodified right. and attempted to profit off of her very existence. It's very, to the Jessica Jones heads out there, it's very Trish Walker, it's Patsy-esque. Right. How when your parents turn you into a commodity, it, it makes you feel like you aren't in control of your own identity and choices anymore. I, I also think that, you know, like I was saying about the, the, the reveal scene, she's an incredible analyst of behavior. She really understands. She understands her husband and she understands people in a really fundamental way, understands why they do things, understands the motivations behind their actions that they are not even seemingly conscious of. And that kind of understanding is really, I laud it. Like there's a lot of, it's a very insightful film. Mm -hmm. So like in that mm -hmm. sense, yeah, she does have a point. Like she's really in a shitty marriage with a guy who's just a low ambition kind of dickhead and it sucks. Now we can obviously quibble about the framed crimes that she <laughs> creates and the murder that she then perpetrates. But I think she is sympathetic in the sense that like who hasn't, who hasn't felt like those feelings watching her have those fights with Nick. It's like, oh yeah, I've, I understand what that's about. In this weird, very specific way, I do agree with the things that Amy is saying. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm just so caught up in, in the way she's telling the story, the very straightforward manner in which she's presenting everything. Yeah. She's, she explains all of the stuff that he, that he did to her. And then at the end, she's like, in a way he killed me the punishment should fit the crime. And in that moment, she, I was like, oh yeah, one plus one plus one is three. I get it. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. And then you see all this stuff happen. When she actually slices Desi's throat. That is like, a you know what? Sh shocking moment. You know what? Maybe, uh, maybe I need to get off this train. Not to defend the cheater, but let's just consider the other side. What is she doing for him exactly in their marriage? And what is she taking away from him? Like, he doesn't feel like an adequate man and provider because she's making him feel that mm -hmm. way like there's one of the quietly brilliant moments in the movie is when the homie Rhonda and her sidekick are first assessing the crime scene yeah. and then they're continuing to talk about it and all the things they learned and the credit card bill and who's paying for what and the house is in her name all the bars in her name oh, interesting what's that house is rented in her name cars in her name credit cards utilities phone bill all in her name even his bars in her name I don't know that that's so surprising. No, but it is humiliating. What you got? And like to make, to set up Nick as a man who is not in, again, control, in control of his own life and who is beholden to her and then she makes him feel like shit about it. Mm -hmm. And also he wants a family and she won't let him have that. Right. Like, And also like his mom was dying and she was being really passive aggressively terrible about it. Was she though? She because she doesn't say, look, when they're riding on the way down there, she says, I don't mind that we're, that we're moving. I just wish he would have asked. No, but that's, we, like a, that's like a then you mind. No, no. You know what I mean? You don't, like you're going. It's I fine. don't mind, but I mind. Okay. I don't know. Like I'm pro Amy in this. She's used to the brownstone life. Uh, you know yeah. what scene I keep coming back to? I keep coming back to when they're right before they go to Missouri, right before the bad mm -hmm. stuff starts to happen. And 
the recession comes. Nick loses his job. She the loses, video game she, scene. She yeah, that's, that was no, an extremely true scene. By no, the way. I, I don't know, like a lot of moments <laughs> from my life. No, not that part. <laughs> yeah, the part when she's like, "Hey, I, I, it's my turn to tell you some bad news." Oh yeah, my parents needed to take uh-huh. money out of my trust yeah, yeah. fund, um, which is apparently a over a million dollar trust fund because she says they needed they took almost a million, and he says that's almost all of it. Yeah, we find out later it was like eight hundred and something thousand. Um, which means they still have in the bank over a hundred thousand dollars. Like, relax, Nick. Well, I chill just out. just the fact that she spent hundred a hundred thousand plus on credit cards yeah, exactly. and he did not notice is yeah. like, your guys, you guys are all right. But in that <laughs> in that scene, she's telling him, "Hey, it's fine. You lost your job. We're gonna be good. We're gonna be good." Oh, by the way, this happened, and then yeah. he panics, and she's like, "No, you're supposed to tell me." It's okay. I feel like that tells me right there. Nick was not. See, wow. I have such. I have the total opposite reaction to that. Do you? Which is that he's the only one being honest in that moment. Mm -hmm. Because neither person would feel okay. Yeah. Like you just would not feel okay about that in your life. And so he, he is being honest when he's like, this freaks me out. I don't feel secure in our own life and I don't feel secure with who we are. And you're the person that I rely on for that. And now you're letting me down. And you are reminding me in the nature of your letting me down that you have all the power. It's your money. You get to decide what to do with it. I'm like a shell. She's completely fronting when she's saying that it doesn't matter. that he Like, she wants him to be the fancy city boy, like you said before. It does matter to her. She doesn't like the version of him that he See, goes I don't on think, to become. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we, that that part is snapped in her yet. Well, she yet. doesn't like either version of him. Yeah. She doesn't like any version of him. She I, just likes the one that she can build. Because she's telling him the background stuff doesn't matter. Like, all that matters is that you're going to, Pick me up when I fall down is basically what she's saying. And he doesn't. And he she does doesn't it right mean there. That. I disagree. <laughs> I See, disagree. This is, this is what I find fascinating about this movie. What I actually find um, really trenchant about the movie is like these um, the observation of in a relationship. There are things that you want from the other person mm-hmm. that you. Are probably not even aware of. But and then you try to get from them by doing other shit. It's like that, like when she's like uh you know, I don't mind moving. I just wish I would have been asked if if we could have been in Nick's head in that moment. He probably would have said, uh, I'm happy that she agreed, but I would have liked to see her agree with more alacrity. Be like, of course, we're going. What do you mean? Like, of co- we're going. But the fact that she and obviously I'm p- imputing this because the scene isn't shown. I. I I would imagine that like her hesitation in agreeing to go probably wounded him in some way. Like, he would have said, I wish you would have just immediately been like, well, we're going. We're going there. Of they, course we are. They do imply that when they pull up to the house mm-hmm. and he gets out and he runs up to the mom and she stays in the car. Right. Yeah. And then he's like, hey, come on, come on, get out of the like. Yeah, I right. think you're, you're probably right. Because they're not just here, going Jason. to some place that she doesn't want to be. They're going to another version of his life right. that didn't include her. Let's take a break from the podcast real quick. I want to tell you about two articles that appeared on the ringer.com this week that I really like. The first is by Victor Luckerson. He wrote a really, really just smart piece about Netflix and whether or not their business model, which has, of course, changed everything. He wrote about whether or not it can sustain itself. I hope that it does. They just greenlit a series on Selena. I would like to watch that. This is not an ad for Selena or that show, but I'm going to turn it in that (laughs) the other piece is about the far right's obsession and usage of occult symbols which was the thing that i did not know was happening brian phillips wrote about it it's called the magical thinking of the far right it's really really good and really really interesting i don't think the far right is really really good or really really interesting in fact i think they're a bunch of fucking idiots but that's probably a conversation for a different place Let's get back to the podcast. Next category. The Jason Statham School for Rehabilitation. Can Amy Dunn be rehabilitated? That's what this category is essentially asking. Is there, is there enough evidence here to suggest she's going to be an okay mom and a, and a decent wife? No. You vote no. no. I think she's going to be an extremely controlling mother. 
like a uh, a dragon mom, as they as they say. And I like I, all the evidence points to a micromanaging level of control and a possibly tragic, potentially violent outcome if she does not see the results that she is hoping for. Okay. Are we just asking about at the end or at any point along the way? At the end, after uh, after at we've the seen end, everything. I think there's no chance. There's no yeah. chance. Other than actual intervention of seeking professional help, like with mental treatment, mm-hmm. then perhaps she could rehabilitate. But without acknowledging that she has a problem and wants to seek treatment for it, this is who she is. And it's not only who she is, it's who she wants to be. Right. That's part of the point of showing that this is repeating behavior for her, is that this is her instinct to make choices like this and to try to manipulate people in this fashion. This is ingrained in her very being. Okay, let me throw something at you then. If we know that this is how she behaves in this capacity, in these situations every single time, can Nick just fall in line? Just do what she says and everything will be fine. I think he will from now on, honestly. Like, what choice does he have? And if and if that's the case, then I think that's close enough to rehabilitation. I think we got to give her green light. I mean, I think that they'll, I think that they will live. <laughs> Let me just say this. If we're talking about rehabilitation in the sense that is she going to commit crimes going forward? I think that there's a better than coin flip chance that Nick, understanding what the repercussions might be, will basically play the game according to Amy's wishes and that they will then be by all appearances, an upstanding middle-class family where, you know, everything seems fine. They're going to do great on Instagram. Like, yeah, they're (laughs) They're they're going to present the The image. They're going to present a really great image. They write memoirs in the book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Respective memoirs. But if that counts as rehabilitation, then yes. Do I think that their life internally, emotionally, within the walls of that house is going to be good? No. So I would almost (laughs) argue the other point, which is, she she and they really will never truly rehabilitate, but there's a chance that within this own their own sick game, they can fall into step with each other. Because I think Yeah. She's very clear about what she needs. The saddest moment in the movie, maybe, is when Go is when Carrie Coon is on the floor weeping and crying. I can't watch you play house with that thing for the next 18 years. I can't just walk away. You could get custody. No, I won't. And you know it. It's going to be my child. I'm not going to leave it. You want to stay? I have a responsibility. It's not about what I want anymore. You want to stay with her? (gasps) She's actually considering the possibility that despite everything he knows, despite the fact that he is still meeting with Kim Dickens' character, Rhonda, Detective Rhonda, trying to catch his wife, that there's a part of him that wants to be with her and is in love with her and always has been. She, he should. Is under her spell at least. He should leave her and go with Detective Boney. I'm into that. I really like, I really like Boney in this movie. She's great. Right, let's go to the next category. This one is bonus footage. Is there a moment that we know for sure happens in the Gone Girl universe that we don't get to see that you'd like to see? I think she's killed before because that's, she did that way. She killed Desi way too easily. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, listen, I've never killed. I have. N- yeah. <laughs> I have- <laughs> Thank Spoiler you for, alert. for clarifying. I've never murdered. Uh-huh. OK. <laughs> I think it would be hard, especially the first time. I think She's so be- far in, though, at this point. Yeah. But I mean, she just cold blooded. Like, I mean, if there's an Oscar for like an acting performance during the commission of a murder, she should absolutely win it. I just feel like, man, she is he either murdered before or like thought about it. She thought about it a bunch. A bunch. When she pins his arms down, that was like, oh mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. After she sights, she he falls over and she's holding him like, now nah, yeah. you got to bleed out. That's tough. Very tough. I would like to see Amy interact with Nick's mom. And Nick imp- says they're very yeah, close. Yeah, an imperative yeah. humanizing element for us to understand mm-hmm. something about his life and just human relations in general that actually on some like sincere, genuine level means something to her. Right. Because if you think about it, we don't see any relationship in the movie where she actually cares about a person. Not one. Not one, including her parents. Including the parents. It's all just about the chessboard and whether someone is moving her or whether she can move that person. 
And similarly, I'd be interested to see more of Nick's father. He's a much bigger character in the book, and it's sort of not clear why he's in the movie Mm -hmm. at all other than to establish his house Mm -hmm. and the clue and the diary being burned in his house. So seeing more about his impact on Nick's life and Nick's psyche, because I think you have to balance that out. It's like if we're going to say that Amy's parents fucked her up, let's understand Nick's family and Margo's, his background Margo too. says that when, when she finds out he's cheating right. on her. You're just like that. Yeah. yeah. So mm. seeing more of that and understanding that better. Next category. This one's called Overmatch, Undermatch, or Fair Fight. Rosamond is as good as it gets as Amy. Yeah. She's very she's she's, incredible. Actually, it's perfect casting. Is, Rosamond Pike is incredible. Can we say the same for Ben Affleck as Nick? Like, how do we rate his performance? Was this between the two of them? Is this a fair fight? Are they evenly matched here? Is he overmatched by her performance, or did he somehow man beat her? It's funny to look at his performance now through the lens of his kind of like recent travails. I think he was yeah. is so good and like vulnerable in a way that now is like really makes me feel a lot of empathy for Ben Affleck, the human being. I agree. Mm-hmm. Like The movie plays differently in 2018 yes. for that reason and for the nature of how we are speaking about female empowerment. Yes. Female right rage, now. female anger. Yeah. Thought um, about that too, though, watching it about like, Ben Affleck. It, th- that scene on the couch when he's just like in his cardigan and pajama pants, like playing uh, what appears to be Battlefield 3. <laughs> Get at me on that? Uh <laughs> And he just says, like, she's like, what you, is this what you've been doing all day? And he's just like, yeah, just killing folks. It was, I, you know, like. Needed that, to shoot something. That yeah. really, uh, yeah, needed to find power in any kind of simulated yeah. way that I can because I am so defanged and emasculated by my current circumstances. The contrast between this really masculine looking guy, good looking dude, mm-hmm. you know, like in great shape, thick guy. Thick. And. And the inner life of, like, this really, like, humbled human being, I found just really empathic. I thought I thought he was great in this. Yeah. Just kind of like a blundering dude who doesn't understand, comes to realize that he doesn't understand anything about his life that he's been living in. Uh, I thought he was great. Is it, so this is, for you, fair fight. Fair fight. Now. Is this where we talk about the side dick? Go oh, for it. Oh, side dick. <laughs> Shouts to the hump shice, shouts to the oh, side dick. Oh my God. It's just also a special moment in the film and in our lives. I will say there's a, uh, you know, recently in a DC comics, adult line of comics, mm. Batman showed his dick. So there's some nice synergy there. Oh my. With ben Affleck showing his dick. And then the character that Ben Affleck played, Batman recently also showing his dick in a very similar shot in a side dick kind of shadowy fashion Mm -hmm. i'm i'm a fan of these choices creatively (laughs) uh i think it's a fair fight i agree with everything jason said i think the thing about the performance that is actually quietly pretty masterful is that while it gives you so much of that empathy and sympathy you actually have to think that he's as smart as her Mm-hmm. Like you have to believe that he could solve it, that he could keep up, that he could figure out what she right, was trying right, to right. do. And he does keep up. He's not only with her every step of the way, at various points, he is ahead and he sells that. Yeah. You believe that simultaneously he could be so taken in and duped by a person that close to him and also that he could then figure out how it happened and why and try to rectify it. And he he manages both of those poles, I think. All right. So fair fight for you as well. Fair fight. I, I really enjoy Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that measured campiness that he can bring to a role that he puts in there. I've been with Affleck since Armageddon in, in 98. Mm. And then it was like, oh, I need to watch the, the stuff that cracker. he's done. I'm all the way in on Affleck. Prior, right? Yeah. So I think you could very easily say that as far as acting goes. Like, I'm a Ben Affleck fan. But. That said. That said. <laughs> I think I think Pike crushes him here. I don't I mm. there's not like there's not for me there's not one piece of me there's not one line there's not one look that she gives that you could change to make her performance a better performance. Mm-hmm. I think you could with him. I just yeah. I just there's there's no he, way for for me to like get around it. I I got to say he's overmatched here. The thing I love about about Pike in this is she's English. 
doing an American accent. And then there's a certain blankness to her. You bring so much of your own experience to the character and impute it onto her because she's so blank. And then as the stuff that's within her character starts to come out, that's part of why it's so impactful. Although I do dis- I. I disagree. I think I think Ben is so good and humanistic he's as very, the guy. He's very good. This is not like Warriors Hawks. I agree. <laughs> this is like Warriors <laughs> Rockets. Like she's she's yeah. a little bit better than him, but enough for me to say she yeah. she was. I just it's a great cast. Last category. This is my favorite one. It's called regrets. Who makes the biggest mistake when dealing with Amy Dunn? <laughs> Mm. A lot of mistakes, as usual. She makes mistakes, I too. Think this is, she does. I, I, I have the— You have one. Okay, yeah. I've got six for you. <laughs> Let's hear six. it. Let's hear it. I've got six. We're going we're gonna to wow. run through it. The first one, Nick Dunn for agreeing to marry Amy. Mm-hmm. Like, should he, should he have seen this coming? No. This She's isn't very good. No, not at all. Okay. I mean, imagine being the, that kind of, like, paranoid maniac that you're like, what if this is all a plot by my fiancé? To eventually frame me, it's like you'd have to be such a maniac to actually think that this is what could happen. Next mistake, when Nick Dunn cheats on Amy. Yes, that's, that's bad. Very, we are in agreement that that's bad. That, that was bad. That's a bad mistake. Is that a mistake bad enough that everything that happened to him after that should have happened? His no. whole life is ruined now. No. I don't think that that's the biggest mistake. That's not the biggest mistake. No, okay. but continue. All right, I'm going to continue. Option number three. Desi showing up mm-hmm. and being like, I'll rescue you. Mm-hmm. Where Shouldn't there have been enough like red flags that have gone up? He already knows what happened from the first time they dated and he got all twisted up and he tried to kill himself. And then he knows she's on the run and that she has eff- effectively framed her husband for murder. Mm-hmm. And he still takes her he's, in. He's, he's all like, in. Let's he's he- just like, lose a few pounds and dye <laughs> your hair blonde and she's then I'm been, all in. He has been waiting for her to be in this moment of vulnerability where he can like put her in a little glass box. Yeah, it's a doll in his doll. Yes, he's been waiting for this. <laughs> okay. Number four, Detective Boney. Uh-huh. A beloved Detective Boney. She makes no mistakes. I love she her. was the closest to sniffing out that something here wasn't wasn't, yes. wasn't right. But she couldn't quite get there. I don't think she I think she did the best. I think she did a bang up job according to the clues that were set out. I for really, her. really like Yeah. At the end of the movie, mm-hmm. after Amy comes back and she and, and Amy and and Boney have the standoff yeah. and and Boney tries to like jump in and say, you know, what about this? See, what about this? The feds. Amy, we found her diary. It contains many concerning allegations of mental and physical abuse. Whoa, it's the ugly truth. Nick didn't want a baby. He has a temper. We had money problems. But I love him. Then why did you try to buy a gun? I'm sorry. I feel myself fading. If I could just clarify one thing. If this case had been left in your deeply incompetent hands, my husband would be on death row, and I'd be tied still. Spread eagle. Ms. Dunn, you've been very brave. We're finished. That is where, that it, is my mistake. That's her mistake. And I that's agree. my mistake yeah. is the Fed guy who's just like, okay, guys, <laughs> she's been through a lot. Let's give her some space, Detective Boney. But mm. this investigation is closed. But Amy's mistake is leaning too far into the bit by keeping the blood <laughs> on. It's too much. And she's actually, for the first time, for someone who is that methodical, plotted out that many details, used all the different pens to write the diary entries, the life insurance, all of it. She's just winging it. She's completely winging Mm -hmm. it in that moment. And it works because she knows ultimately that she has power over men, Mm -hmm. sexual and emotional power over Mm -hmm. men. And she successfully used that to advance throughout her entire life. And she's doing it again in that scene. But ultimately, any competent agent is going to say, None of this adds up. How did you get the box cutter if you were tied up the entire That's time? A great point. Right. Option number five, or whatever number we're on at this point, because we just <laughs> added several more. Her parents. Oh. Her parents for turning her childhood into the book series and mm-hmm, then yeah. turning everything that every failure she has into a success for Amazing Amy mm-hmm. and having to grow up under that. Or the last one, Nick Dunn, when he decides, you know what, I'll stay. I'm going to stay. We're assuming he stays. That's a tough one for me. Like, if she's like, hey, I'm pregnant, I guess I'm just like, fuck that baby. Have 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 fun. 
<laughs> as a single mom. Like, I don't know how you put oh yourself back in that situation. Yeah. I've always hoped that he was just biding his time. The baby will be born, hopefully healthy. And then he can revisit his, maybe in the woodshed even, his like closeted effort to continue to bring her down. Get Rhonda back on his side. Keep going the effort. Call up Tanner Bolt. <laughs> and all of his PIs. Even, even Tanner Bolt was like, I don't know, man. Cut, cut your losses. This is as good as it gets. <laughs> Here and Tanner Bolt was straight up like, well. She won. She won. So just mm. deal with it. There's something in Nick's choice there that is very existential about like, what are any of us really, right. cha- really point, chasing at I, any point? I agree. There, there is really something very human about like, do I settle for this? Right. Is well, this, I'm alive. I'm alive. This is pretty good. I'm not good. in jail. She's beautiful. She is I'll have beautiful. the child that I wanted. Right. The house is great. Home. Flip side is you're opting I've got the Stratocaster. <laughs> the robot dog and the RoboCat. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that one's out. So, Jason, you're going with the Fed. I'm Who going doesn't with the Feds it? because, come on, guys. There's a lot of holes in this story if you just want to poke around and you just are like, okay. Sounds good to me. What do you got? A lot of mistakes. It's hard to top Desi being like, this seems right. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, I can't, I can't, I can't accept that on any level. I think think I'm going to go with Jason with this one on the the Fed because Desi was already himself nuts. Yes, it's true. He he couldn't see straight. Did we miss anything? Is that it? I don't think so. That is a lot of mistakes, but that was good. You've been listening to Villains. I'm Shea Serrano. Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion were my guests today. You can read them on TheRinger.com and listen to their podcast, Binge Mode, on The Ringer Podcast Network. Villains is a production of The Ringer. It's executive produced by Julia Lippman and produced by Kara Hart. Bobby Wagner is our researcher and engineer. Thank you to Daniel Birch for our theme music. Next week, the horror movie villain. <laughs>